What's up? This is You'll Hear It. This is the Run It Back series with Caleb Kirby. All right, I'm so excited for today's lesson or series of lessons. Um, So the clips I've got today are from three different episodes, all about note application. Um, Now, I usually try to keep it a little bit more broad for these kind of best of run it back series type episodes. But this one, I think, is just going to be a really interesting journey. So uh, note application, um, this first clip that's coming up here is going to be all about uh, how to apply scales and how to work with modes. And are we thinking about that in real time when we play or are we just kind of getting used to the sound of certain scales and modes and applying certain shapes? I think Adam and Peter do an amazing job of describing like the difference between what you think about when you practice versus what you do in you real could make time. An episode about the scale modes and their applications like, uh, do you think of them about, um, I want this kind of vibe, so I'm going to use this mode? Or do you let the chord changes guide you to which mode you have to use? Or, um, I don't know, if you could just talk a bit about it. Thanks. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, um, well, so I, I think there's, there's two parts that he's saying. You know, do we... Do we use the chord changes to guide to which scale to choose and then to make choices within that scale, I think, is part of it? Or do we go straight to what the scale is? And I would say both at different times, you know, depending upon the situation. Um, I I think that when you're learning and depending on, like, where you are in your development, it's very important to to kind of break it down by chord. Mm -hmm. And then later on it gets a little more advanced when you're looking at, maybe whole progressions and possibly even taking one scale or a couple scales and floating them above that, yep. uh, which is a great thing. But we're working all that in together. And, and, and for, you know, a lot of times it comes down to a stylistic thing and whether, you know, how quickly the chord changes are moving. I mean, if you're going like one, two, one, two, three, four, ding, 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 ding. And each one of those is two beats for a different chord. I'm just all diatonic, baby. Yeah, man. <laughs> you, you're, you're not thinking about, I mean, you shouldn't be because you, yeah. if you think about a different scale for each one of those, even if if you can keep up with that, you're not going to be making choices. No. They're, they're going to be making choices on you. They're going to be making choices on you, yeah. Um, but, it, you know, having said, I don't know, does that, is that kind of the way yeah, you see it? No, or? this is a process. I think that's the important part. And if you don't know what scales go over what chords or what your options are for scales over what chords, yeah. you have to learn that first as much as possible so that yeah. you have the language, you know. Because um, at, at a certain point, once you sort of get to a higher level, you're not thinking about that at all. Right. You're literally just thinking about the sound, the shape, the, the, the themes that you're working with. And you have all these options available to you for each chord. And you're not really even thinking about the chord because you know that sound, that shape. You're, yeah. you're literally just dealing with sounds at a certain point. Right. But you can't get those sounds unless you really do the work, practice running the scales over the chords. Right. And... And understanding the differences between them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that certain scales, um, there's a, there's the harmonic component to them. You know that that harmonic um, vibe that they um, that they reflect when you play them in certain ways that is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, we always talk about not just running up and down scales, and we don't. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we don't sometimes. I mean, I know that I will say over like a 
a five chord that's extended maybe for a measure, a couple measures, that's like a big alteration. And say I'm, I'm using the altered scale over that. I may only play over that and do kind of scale fragments, maybe some shapes and things or whatever. But it, it almost becomes the choices of how to do that become based upon how I want that tension to come out, which is really a harmonic thing. But I'm yeah. using, you know, melodic improvisation you know, within that framework. So yeah, I'm not necessarily thinking C altered scale, but I am thinking of, of zones and, and shapes and things that fit into that. Yeah, and yeah. that's a powerful thing. I almost think sometimes, especially in more traditional styles, and I don't mean like totally like beginnings of jazz ragtime traditional, I just mean more like say you're playing a solo piano ballad of a standard, that when you get to certain chords, you almost have to do certain scales, not necessarily one scale. You have choices, and I know we're talking about scale, note choices within scales, so you have several scales sometimes. But sometimes, depending on what you play before, you only have one really you choice set, of scale. You set yourself up. Yeah, I mean, unless you're a genius. I mean, if you're like Herbie Hancock, and you can come up with some other scale for another like non-chord Inventing song. scales on the fly. Yeah, to like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, we all do that and try yeah. to do that, of course. But I yeah. mean, how it sounds is important. And normally that's going to bring more tension in. And if so, if you're doing that at the right time, then that becomes a good choice. But yeah. you're still within a scale area and then you're making choices based on, I think, more melodic um, concepts as opposed to just technical scale. Yeah, I guess the answer to, to Mirkos's question is yes. Like you are making choices about the modes but you're not thinking about it like that is what we're saying. You know, yeah. you're, you're thinking about it in terms of a broader concept. Yeah. Now, when you practice this and you're a beginner, you're an intermediate player, you need to practice this thinking about the modes over the chords. Right. Um, no one gets out of here without knowing a little bit of what notes sound good over what chords. That's exactly. Just, that's what we do. You and know? that becomes a big part of the note choice, I think. Right. So you, you know you have the choices of the whole scale. But not all those are the right choice. Not all those. And, and not at that time. At that time. I mean, any one of them at some time. There's no, like, bad note for any situation. Right. But, but, but that's how, did, how did Miles Davis always pick the most magical note for every situation? You know what right. I mean? Like He understood that. He and understood. look, the bottom line is, especially when you get into so-called modal playing and when, when there's a lot of space involved, you, you know, you're basically looking at the advanced level at the chromatic scale as being your choice at all times. Because you can, you can figure out yeah. how to make that work. Yeah. You know, and, and, okay. Yeah. This next clip is all about five-note voicings. Now, this is like a topic that I find extremely useful from this podcast because Adam and Peter are such good musicians and they're really able to play and describe how they think about simple voicings and how to enhance like a beginner's guide towards chord composition and you know accompanying the melody and just playing, comping, whatever it may be. Um, this is like some great information and sounds you can use when you're getting used to coming up with your own five note voicings. So what are so what are some some sort of speaking of basic? What are some sort of beginner ones that people can jump on if they maybe don't know these voicings at all? Yeah, well, so I think that the ones that are all fourths or all fourths with the triad kind of second or first inversion on top of the best, and that's going to be your so what voicings. So you're building up. Well, if we look at that one, you know, we're building up, looking at D Dorian, yeah. just all fourths with a major third on top. Starting at the root. Yeah, starting at the root. And, you know, the way you can think about it, I love, a lot of times people won't think about this as a triad because it's not root position. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the function and the sound of it and yeah. how we're going to be able to use it and, and even like kind of move it around, it's very much the triad's important. So what we're looking at is an F major triad, which of course is the relative major of the D minor That's right. where we're dealing. And the reason it's second inversion is just because 
So what's great about this voicing too, you have, here you have D, G, C, F, A, like you said, is that's, that's a D minor seven, you can use as in like the sort of Dorian sound, but yep. you can also use yep. it as a B flat uh, major 13, right? right. If, you put a, if, if the bass player is playing a B flat in the root, yeah. that sounds great. You could also use it as an E flat Lydian. Yep. You know, those, those shapes work so well for so many different kinds of chords. And actually, I think typically I kind of use this the most for that, for that B-flat major or for the F major. Yeah, F major like six. F major six, yeah, yeah. You know, six, nine. Um, and then also because then you can get into sort of diatonic movement, even if it's not strictly moving. It's just, and basically it just means, say, everything if you're on the B-flat major. And we thought about like a Lydian sound. Yeah. And we're just moving up stepwise. Beautiful. And then you can open it up with fourths. Nice. So all I've done is take that same voicing and then gone up to straight fourths. And then I'm moving diatonically, so I'm going to get some nice, you know, um, augmented fourths tritones in there. And these can also work over a straight major, but they a lot of times they don't, I don't know, they don't sound as good. So if I got... So you put, the, put in that natural four. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little weird. That's okay. That's all right. Sounds kind of good. The more I play it, <laughs> um, but yeah, but the, yeah, exactly. So the concept is, you know, these are open fourths, a little bit of thirds, that kind of a thing. Man, can I piggyback on this voicing and show you one of my favorite Come five on note two three yeah. voicings? Yeah, because I invented that one. So go ahead and piggyback. <laughs> yeah, yours. So if we do the same voicing but like a B flat six, right? Yeah. You know, let's say you're playing a rhythm changes where it's like B flat major seven. B flat six yep. to like a G seven. Or, I see where you're going. I like where you're going. Or, I like our destination. Well, there's a few things you can do here. So here's our B flat. This is uh, the same voicing, but just up a fourth from what he did. So G C F B flat D. And if I want to go to G seven, yeah, that's buddy. all I do, right? Yep. And that's some good voice leading there. That's great voice leading. Now here's another thing. Let's say it's it's uh, B diminished, like you're doing this thing. Yeah. You know. One voicing I love is oh by the way that G seven that was F B E A D yeah, that's straight fourth st starting on F all white keys fourth now if I take the same G seven voicing but I flat the nine yeah, so I buddy. take that A yep this is a great diminished voicing this is B diminished F diminished D yep. diminished and look what's right in the middle of that check that out I love this yeah and you're just moving it chromatically up look what's in the middle of that the three notes oh in e triad e yeah. triad second so you have, version again you have that g7 flat nine sound. yep and you're gonna always get i mean not always sometimes they don't work but <laughs> you're gonna often get some great symmetry so i mean that's the thing i like about the five note voicing it's asymmetrical in terms of two and three of course because we don't have two and a half fingers in either hand yeah yeah but you get some nice setups for triads on top bottom or in the middle so here Know, that's a very well balanced chord. There's also other. You know, if you want to go sharp yeah, eleven, really good. I like it. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And if you want to start breaking it up, you know where, you, where we've talked about before in terms of voice leading, you can rhythmically break it up. But that's yeah, that's getting into some great kind of voice leading without even changing any of the direction. You know, yeah. that's a whole other thing that we can do with the five note voicing. Okay, and finally we have a throwback from a speak pipe episode about why pretty notes don't exactly work in like rock music or popular music. Um, 
kind of a vague question, but I think Adam and Peter tackle it really well here. And it actually gets into some other really cool topics about when to use more, uh, I guess, simplified sounding chord structures versus like adding a lot of texture and uh, depth into the chord voicings that you choose. So I really hope you enjoy this. Uh, this time I have chances to jazz up Christmas songs and have thoughts. How come those pretty notes don't fit for most rock songs? What's the difference musically or melodically, uh, if you agree? Um, so I think, you know, Christmas songs, it comes in such a variety. I think you've got the ones that are like, you know, um, chestnuts. Which to me is really just like a great standard. It's mm. Mel Torme, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just a beautiful tune with with really interesting harmony and stuff. So there's a lot there um, to you know, pretty notes, pretty chords, cool harmonic, you know, um, uh, just like any other kind of standard where you've got these great opportunities to play interesting things around something that's set there. Um, Whereas a lot of rock songs, I mean, look, we talk about rock songs. That's a big range there. But a lot of that, it's not giving you as much to to use the same kind of a musical imagination we're talking about, right? There's like you have to work so much harder to find that. And, and to me, it's not even so much about the complexity of the tune. If you were to do like... Um, uh, Like there's a not a, not a lot to that tune. It's you know especially when you take away the lyrics, it's just kind of you know. But you check out you know uh, Ella Fitzgerald or something singing. It's like they're able to find the nuance in that. Okay, now play that again, but try to hear it. <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just. I'll just add here to Noriko that for the sound of, of a lot of rock tunes, you know, ninths and thirteenths just don't fit with the sound of the tune. And that's totally cool. You know, if they're if it's more of a triad based or even just seventh chords things based, uh, you know, that's that's also a sound actually that you can in a language amongst itself. I know, Peter, that like you've worked with our mutual friend, Brian Owens a little bit when I play like with his band band, right. When it's like his stuff and yeah. it's straight in that soul music pocket. Yeah. It's like he wants sevenths, but he doesn't want ninths. You know, exactly. Most of the time. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And so you have to be aware of where those are appropriate and not, it's, it's a whole other thing. And so pay attention sometimes to, you know, how thick your chords can be, you know, if you're playing. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about like, and I think Stevie Wonder is a great when you get into like so-called pop music or rock music is a great reference because his music and the way he's played it over the years like really runs the gamut. So you've got like, you know, um, oh no, that's Joe Zavinal. What am I thinking about? What's what's his bad boy in Hot Mississippi? Yeah. Bad day. 
Like there's a lot of blues in there, but there's not necessarily like sus or or sharp thirteen and all that kind of stuff. Or even thirteen, it's just like. But you've got that. And like you can hear the way he phrases and sings it. But then something like. You know, that Stevie tune, the melody is a dominant 13. It starts on the 13. And it's a half step up. And then minor 11, sharp 11. And this is all stuff that's like within the melody. There's just so much there, you know. Yeah, it's just so. But you got to kind of pick pick where, you know the style of what's happening within that. So that's what to me makes Stevie so unique because he really goes rock, blues, R&B, jazz, like all that is encompassed, but not always at the same time. I love, for me, I love to see what I can do with triads sometimes too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think there's an art to that, that, uh, you know, even even on a tune like the Christmas song, like how, how simple can I make things? Uh, not all the time, but sometimes I feel like it's a nice change of pace for me. So something to think about, Noriko. All right. Thanks for listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. This is the Run It Back series with Caleb Kirby. Now, remember, if you like listening to this podcast, you got to like and you got to subscribe. It's sponsored by OpenStudioJazz.com, where you can find the coolest content to build the relationship between you and your instrument. If you're looking for a reference point to find these episodes and listen more in depth, uh, I will have the links in the description. But until next time, happy practicing.